Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Maurice O'Keefe, principal of Irish Life and Lore. And with my wife, Jane, we run an organization dedicated to the collecting and archiving of oral history. We're doing this since the 1990s, and it is now one of the largest archives of audio recordings in the country. And all these recordings are available to listen to on our website, irishlifeandlore.com. So now I'll be producing podcasts on historical events in Ireland. And this week's podcast, Sunday, the 21st of November, 1920. It was a day of violence in Dublin. This day was known as Bloody Sunday. Trouble broke out after the IRA squad, called the Twelve Apostles, assassinated members of the British intelligence officers. Later that day, in retaliation, the Crown forces entered Croke Park, where there was a football match taking place between Tipperary and Dublin. They started firing indiscriminately at the players and the crowd. So to find out more about that day, we listen to first-hand accounts given by eyewitnesses. And later on, you will hear an account by the son of one of the British officers who was stationed in Dublin Castle at that time. But first we listen to Eileen Dyle. The Bloody Sunday really and truly started the trigger because when these young boys went in to the to the football, then they turned on the footballers. So can you can you describe to me exactly what happened? The the tank went into the Croke Park yeah. and into the field yeah. and started shooting. Yeah. Shot all before them. Bloody Sunday, is what it's called, and it is, it is still called Bloody Sunday. Eileen was living quite close to Croke Park Stadium, and she was playing with her friends on that day. And look at what they done on Jones's Road of a Bloody Sunday. We were co- coming down with a big hoop, you know, hoop and a bit of stick, and there was three of us running down the road, and we all heard the whistles. One, one, one way I row, another, another, another. There was five of us together. And uh, needless to say, all the mothers in Charles Street was out looking for us. But uh, they shot all before them. They killed all before them. It was dreadful. But I never will, as long as I live, I never will, will forget the day my grandmother went over to the, the boy lying on the ground. He jumped the wall and came up Emmett Street and he collapsed because he was shot and the blood was all down and it, it trailed and they were falling where the blood came from. 
And then when they got him, he was at the church, little the little church, the Protestant church in Charles Street. Very small Protestant church it was. But uh, my grandmother was the only first woman. And Mrs Ivers is the second woman that went over to, to, to try to lift him. Mm-hmm. My grandmother had an apron on her and she took it off and, and she wound it around him. And didn't the black and tans jump out of the car? Cut a hole from be the heels, dragged him, and lifted him up and threw him like that. And my grandmother stood looking, and Mrs. Ivers was praying. <laughs> oh, wasn't it and terrible? She That's said to him, is, yes. "She said, you's have mothers, haven't you?" Eileen describes here the way that the IRA fought the blackened hands and she also recalls a raid by the blackened hands on her family home. Some of them had grenades and they crossed over the hill a crowd of them and as this tan, tan, tan car was coming along they were blown up. They were blown right up in the air now that many came down on them. You'd wonder, you'd say to yourself though, like, we'd no army, what you'd say, to fight. You know, there was no army. Our army was a handful. They had so many ins and outs of places. All around there was in and out and in and out. you get out quick off the main road going along. You go fly that way, you go fly this way. And you get, you know, you had the, the openings of different directions. Under a table for a week and afraid to come out. Of the house? Yes, afraid to come out. And was my that gra- intimidation my gra- or why? Why was that? Because the minute that uh, they get in, the best part of them, it'd be nearly drunk. And they go through everything, throw everything around and frighten the heart and soul out of everyone. Really yes, do that? Yes, yeah. would they? Yeah. They'd get a, if there was a lovely young girl in the house, she'd be hid. The father and mother'd have to get her hid away somewhere. They ill-treated girls and everything in 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 their own home. The black and tan. They were devils on this earth. Mm-hmm. They were really devils. Eamon Burke, the son of Frank Burke, gives us an account here of his father's skills, both in hurling and in football. And then he goes on to tell us about Bloody Sunday and his father's participation uh, playing for Dublin against Tipperary. In 1917, he was on the panel for the Dublin panel that got as far as the All-Ireland final against Tipperary. And Tip were the champions and nothing could touch them. But the, the, the famous players, who the, the Mars were the the uh, Lowry Marr yeah and and the Dublin met him he was only on the panel trained hard with them and they arrived in Croke Park the morning of the All-Ireland the captain of the team was big John Ryan says to him strip out by your plane and he was picked to play that morning his first inter-county debut was at the All-Ireland final never having played for the county before that so he said that uh, 
Well, he was a bit nervous going out on the field, but after a few minutes, he, he settled down. And the, he, the one of the players was dropped because he didn't train, and or he didn't train enough. Yeah. So he was dropped, and Dad was put on. And they adopted a new style of playing: first time pulling on the ball, and Tip with no answer to them. And they scored five goals, four points, and won. And against all odds. So that was his first uh, hurling, first medal in the All-Ireland. But it wasn't bad for a Kildare man, really. Uh, he had won junior football in ni- 1914, he played in 1916, and again in a, he was eligible to play a second time because he was in jail and he hadn't played football. So he was eligible to play junior football a second time. First time they beat Mayo, the second time they beat Limerick. So he has two football All-Ireland medals in 1916, 1916, he was left corner forward, and who was he marking but make a Michael Hogan from Grange Mokler. And they knew each other quite well because they'd been at the Cayley there a fortnight earlier together. So um, they were chatting, the play, there was a wind blowing across the field from what is now the Cusickstown side, and um, so most of the play was the other side, he was on. So they were chatting. And then there was an aeroplane flying around and flew off and then came back. And just at that time, the ball came over between them and they raced for the ball. And as soon as he said he was just about to catch the ball when the firing started. And um, he thought it was only blanks. But when he saw the panic on the stands with the crowd running all over the place, they realised it was real. So they ran down towards the centre of the field. He was up near the canal end. And um, there was himself, uh, Mick Hogan, and another Dublin player, Joe Sinnott. And they got halfway down, they threw themselves on the ground, and they started to crawl towards the uh, sideline where there was a cycle track and a low wall. If they got behind the wall, they could have some shelter. But when they just started to crawl, when Mick Hogan sort of let out a shout, My God, Frank, I'm shot. And... um, so he stood up then and shouted for a clergyman. And some priest came in, and we never found out who, what, who the priest was. But the priest came in to make Hogan, but he, was, he died on the spot. And um, Dad made his way over to what is now Hill 16, and he was confronted then by Black and Tans, and they asked him, who was he playing for? And he said, Dublin. Um, I think they were looking for Tipperary players. I don't know, but the... the the Collins's um, was an assassination of the spies that morning it was supposed to have been carried out by people from Tipperary, I think, or was rumoured. It wasn't, of course, because we know who did it. Um, but uh, he was then chased around the field into the dressing room. They came in, they searched the clothes, they were looking for guns, they didn't find any. And eventually he got, uh, got out and got dressed and got out. And um, his anxiety was that he'd given permission 
to three or four of the St. Andrews the students to go to the match. Mm. Now, he was just headmaster. At that, he's been appointed headmaster in September 1920. And this was November 1920. And he was worried about the students. And um, But they all got back to St. Andrews with one, somebody was a minor injury. But one of those players, he used to visit us regularly in Rathfarnham. Um, <coughs> he was from Scotland, Joe Linus. And he was one of, the, one of the four that were left off. And he used to come and talk about the day he went to Bloody Sunday. Oh, so it's, 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 it's such a, a very uh, frightening uh, s- story, you know. And, and yeah. listening to your father tell that story, did he, did he, he must have been uh, um, emotional about it. Did, did, did that he, his friend was shot? He was very was emotional about it. Yeah, I believe he was because he, 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 he thought highly of... Uh, Mick Hogan and he was a very nice person Sean Clancy a County Clare man he came to Dublin in 1919 to join the volunteers Mick's first time in Dublin first time in fact on a train that was in 1919 and um, I got involved there in the volunteers then and the right age for volunteer duties I was 19 years of age or so. Well, uh, I had another cousin in Dublin, and he was involved in the volunteers already, and it was through him I joined a company in the Dublin Brigade, in the 2nd Battalion of the Dublin Brigade. At the time, this is now 1919, the, the War of Independence hadn't started at that time, you see. It really didn't start in middle of 1920. So I was active with the volunteers then from there on and uh, we attended our parades every week and so on and then of course things gradually changed. They did indeed Mm. but before then did you get involved in any skirmishes with the the British forces or? Well yes in 1920-21 I was involved. And in what way in the uh, well, I'll tell you, as, as, as a volunteer, I, was, I had no officer rank you know, like that. I was too young, I suppose. But uh, we had parades every week, and as time went on, uh, things become, it became serious. And gradually, we got involved in little skirmishes, bombing British lorries and things like that, on the streets. At that time, the, the British, and especially the black and tans when they came, they used to travel around in uh, uh, Cosley Tender. You know what a Cosley Tender was? And there were seats in the front, a seat in the front, and you sit back to back. And uh, it, it, now it happened in Lower Dublin, they used to be attacked in the streets, with hand grenades mostly. And maybe a revolver. There weren't many rifles used in Dublin at the time. Rifle shooting didn't shoot suit the Dublin campaign. But uh, then, in course of time, the British, of course, they got aware of the risk, and finally they put wire over themselves in the Crasley tender, so that the hand grenades might roll off onto the crowd and explode on the ground. But even that didn't save them. Uh, they, I suppose they were terrified, all right. 
because they did some terrible acts, they carried out some terrible crimes, and uh, they were ruthless for us. And Sean makes a comparison with the auxiliary forces and mentions the ambush at Kilmichael in County Cork, which was a turning point in the War of Independence. Then you had the auxiliaries too. The auxiliaries were better, uh, had a better standard of fighting. They were more enlightened, I think. You see, they were all ex-officers of the British Army who had uh, been demobilised in 1919 or 1920. And uh, they were great fighters, of course, ruthless, but brave. And you know what happened to me in Kilmichael, in West Cork? Oh, Tom Barry. Tom and Barry, yes. And later in Cross Barry. Well, of course, that was the, I think, the, West Cork, I think, was the most successful part of the country in those years, as far as the fight was concerned. Sean continues to talk about Bloody Sunday. And that morning, there was uh, assassinations carried out on British intelligent officers, and one of the members of the squad was Vinnie Burns. Vinnie was one of the squad. He called the squad our 12 apostles, as some people call them. Now, they were responsible purely to Collins during the, the fight with the British. Yes. But Vinnie, they were mostly Dublin people, but not all. But Vinnie was a typical Dublin fella. And if you read his, his accounts of his doings... Uh, uh, he never used to say, it's on record, he used to never say that he shot a man, he'd say I plugged him. <laughs> the word plugged was being used a lot at that time, you know. And uh, then there was a, he, he had a great pal named Jimmy Slattery, who was a clear man. Three oh, yeah. of them were probably the three most active men in the squad. Well, and well, we're, we're talking about uh, Vinnie Bourne and Jim Slattery. They were both North City. Uh, they belonged to North City units, but they were in the squad. That's Collins' squad. And Bloody Sunday, they, they, they took part in, in the job in Mount Street. There were a couple of detectives shot in Mount Street, you see. And uh, apparently, uh, they, having done that job, they were anxious to get back safely. They lived down from Condra. Uh, I think they lived in the same digs or same house. But in any case, at, at the time they decided that it mightn't be safe to come back to the central city and get a tram back, trams at that time. And they decided to walk down to Ring's End where there was a, 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 a boat service across to the north side there, you see. I, I don't, maybe it's still there, I don't know. But apparently when they arrived, his own story was that when they arrived down there, there was no boat there. And of course, uh, after doing a big job. So uh, they fired a couple of shots in there. To, to, they felt that the boatman might be at the other, on the north side. And right enough, he was very alert, heard the shots, and he rode across the Mount Deliffey and brought him across uh, to the north side and they found their way up to some corner on foot. Yeah, that was his story, you know. They went they went to, to bed and they went to rest for a rest and um, uh, later on then they decided to go to Croke Park to see the match between Tipperary and 
Dublin football match. And they were there when they attacked the place in Cork Park. They were on the fire for the second time in Cork Park. Second time in a day, which was most unusual. But they managed to climb over the wall somewhere at the back of the present Cusick stand and got away safely. And he, he, was very, he was very good telling that little story, you know. And later on on that day, uh, Sean remembers going to Parnell Square to a dance. Oh, that was a terrible day in Dublin, that you know. Do you remember that well, do you? Oh, I remember it well. I remember it well. I remember uh, I, I went with some pals, some group. We used to go to a Cayley on Sunday nights. But when we got down to Parnell Square to the Cayley, there was a notice on the door that no Cayley tonight because raid, expecting raids and all that. There were raids everywhere that, that night. But it was a terrible night in Dublin that night. The Murray brothers, John and Jim, were both at Croke Park on Bloody Sunday. And here the Murray family recalled what was said. The War of Independence then, Bloody Sunday, was, were they caught up in that? Oh yes, yes. John and the Uncle James was caught up in that, or the Uncle Jim as we knew him. They were uh, in Crow Park, Tipperary, in Dublin playing, and uh, John always told us that when the shooting started, they all dived down onto the ground, and his cap, he always remember, fell off. And when he went to reach for it, he got a belt with a rifle butt in the back, and some man beside him said, Stay, stay here, don't move. But seemingly the Uncle Jim, he was cute. He was down, the, I think it was the Hill 16 then. Yeah. He got off the wall and ran like blazes <laughs> down Clownish Road, you know. But uh, no, he, he always, John spoke about that all right. He said it was the most horrific day he could remember, you know, yeah. the shooting and the killing that went on. That He'd never forget that. He was, and he was there as a spectator. Yeah, and, the and spectator, yeah. yeah. He always said that the, the uncle James, as he was known, he ran as fast as a greyhound out of The fathers yes, remembered the one family there, and the husband was called out, and the, the mother was called out as well. And she had the baby in her arm, and they shot the father in front of the mother. You know, he said he could never forget that. That was the one thing he spoke about. He called the black and tans everything. That's one thing he always said about them. They were released from prison in England to come over here to be in the tans. Mm -hmm. And they were the most ruthless people. And now to get the views of a British captain stationed in Dublin Castle during the Troubles and the War of Independence, I spoke to John Bellingham. He's the son of Captain Orter Stewart Bellington, whose family lived in Hote, County Dublin at that time. He got gassed in the trenches, um, uh, uh, and um, it, it, I mean, his lungs were permanently damaged for the rest of his life. And so uh, he, he, he was um, invalided out from the trenches, and so he was sent um, over here and was on the staff in, in uh, what I think they called it Western Command. 
Um, Western Command, I think, was based on Athlone. But he he was in Dublin Castle, where, where the, the headquarters were. And he was living here with his mother and went to, mm. went in and out. Uh, he wasn't always in barracks. I mean, a lot of the time he was here and went in and out to Dublin. At that time, what rank did he hold? Captain. And when he was there in Dublin Castle as captain and... Uh, did, did, what did he say about the, the mood of the people at the time? Uh, I, I only, he, he would not have had first-hand, first-hand experience uh, of the mood of people around 1916 because he was in the trenches. Uh, but if he came home on leave at that period, and I don't know whether he did or not, probably not actually, um, I think the mood... Of most people in Dublin was 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 hostile to to um, uh, to, to to those who, who took the post. I mean, what I'm saying is well known. I think all historians agree on this. Um, uh, they, they were um, the, the, the majority of the people in Dublin thought it was a great mistake, and so many of them had uh, um, the, their, their sons and brothers serving in the war, and and so they they, they would look upon this as treacherous. And um, it was only after they were executed uh, that the, the 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 mood changed entirely. Because mm. then, from from uh, from having been um, uh, rebels who, who, whom uh, whom the people were very suspicious, they then almost overnight uh, became heroes. Uh, right through 1916, he was he was actually in France at that time. Oh, he yeah. would have hardly have known about 1916. It yeah. didn't impinge. Yeah. I mean, it seems a big event, um, uh, um, uh, you know, now in, in Ireland. But at the time, in in the middle of the Great War, it, it was hard to notice. There were far more important things happening. Mm-hmm. But in 1917, he was back. He was in Dublin Castle. And, yes. And then, of course, you had the, the, the aftermath. You had the War of Independence. And you had... Uh, he never referred to it as that. It was just... And nobody did, really, in those days. It was only schoolmasters who talked about that. It, it was just known as the Troubles. Mm. I never heard the expression "war of independence" and, 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 until much later in life. People always referred yeah. to the troubles. Yeah, nothing, nothing else. How difficult was it for your, your father? I mean, was he? Um, did he find himself actually uh, involved in some of the skirmishes? Oh, of course, um, of course. Um, I don't think it was difficult for him. Uh, the 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 um, the point of view of of. Uh, uh, anyone who'd, who'd been in the in 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 the army uh, fighting the Germans was that um, you know this was this was a rebellion a rather mis- misguided rebellion and it had to be dealt with. Uh, he always got on very well with the locals. I mean, there was nothing personal about it, but the, but he he obviously wouldn't have agreed with the with the movement. Hmm. I know, and and uh, well, uh, being stationed in Dublin Castle in nineteen seventeen and eighteen and nineteen, I mean these were these were really uh, troublesome times in Dublin, weren't they? Oh yes, oh yes, yes. Uh, so much so that um, the, uh, uh, a very enterprising fisherman from uh, uh, from Hoth um, uh, started a ferry, uh, f- which brought people from from Kingstown. Uh, across Dublin Bay and landed them at Hoth because if they wanted to go on down the country, they didn't have to go through through Dublin, which could be, in which there were problems. So the the passengers would come off the mailboat, be brought to Hoth, and um, get on the 
the GNR, um, and instead of going into Dublin, they would change at Hurst Junction. <laughs> and they could then get a train up to Drydown, and then from there on to Oldcastle or that. Or they could... Um, of course, the 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 the, um, the middle Great Western Railway also stopped at Eamon Street, so they could get the train there um, to go on down to Sligo, as it were, without having to go into the into the mm. into this into the centre of Dublin. But your father had to do with troubles with with, with um, a lot of uh, disruption, really, in 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 uh, oh, yes. bombing of bridges and and oh and, yes, and, that. Uh, but Howard itself was always an oasis of peace by mutual agreement, because the, the, there's a house up the hill here that belonged to Dr. Farnham, who was a friend of of De Valera, and uh, um, it's said that Dev used to hide out here, and at the same time, a lot of the houses round here. Uh, um, the, the, the the young men were in the British Army or the British Navy and they'd be home here on leave and so by mutual agreement between the British Army and the uh, the IRA Hoth was left in peace it was never raided and there were no, no incidents in Hoth hmm. I think there were more sort of tacit agreements like that than one, than one knows about hmm. Did your father ever meet Michael Collins? I don't know uh, uh, I honestly don't know about that. Um, he must have done it at some stage, he, he, yes, because um, at the finally at the handover uh, at the treaty, my father was still in in uh, Dublin Castle, and um, the 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 British handed over to the new Free State Army uh, the arsenal, including their rifles, of course. And it's quite possible that Michael Collins would have been there uh, in charge of the of the of the um, the Irish army that was receiving them, because uh, after the the after the treaty, the British army was was withdrawn, of course, from from the Republic. Well, it wasn't the Republic then, from I suppose the Free State, and um, so naturally all the serving British British officers left at the same time. And um, my father had been ADC to General McCready, and General McCready was appointed governor of Gibraltar. And so he took my father with him as, as, as his ADC. And then he, my father was nominated military attaché in Tangiers. Tangiers being an international port at the time, with a, a, I think a five, five countries were involved in, the, in governing Tangiers. And the Rif War had broken out. The 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 Rif were the um, were the Berber tribe who lived in the Rif Mountains along the border between Spanish Morocco and French Morocco, and they rose in revolt against the Spaniards, and they were successful, and they 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 drove the, they pretty well drove the Spaniards into the sea, but of course there was a rising on the French side as well. And this didn't suit the French, so the the, the French attacked the the the, the, um, the Rif from from the rear, and um, in the process of that, they captured a whole lot of rifles, and the um, my father's counterpart, the French military attaché, came to him very accusingly and said, "Ah, we discovered perfidious Albion, at it again." Um, um, Britain has been arming um, the Rif rebels against us. So my father said, I don't think so. It's not British policy that I've ever heard of. Um, and he said, well, look, uh, look at all these Lee-Enfield rifles. 
um, are they not British? So my father said, well, he'd investigate the matter. And he, but he said, it's quite simple. You've just got to give me the, the numbers of the rifles, and we can trace them back from Woolwich, uh, where they would have been issued. And so he, he sent the numbers back to London, and then duly they followed the trace down from Woolwich that they had been um, in, in Ireland, and they, they followed them down to Dublin Castle, and whose signature was on the, 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 the paper that handed them over to the Free State Army, but Captain A.S. Bellingham. So, um, uh, 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 he <laughs> naturally, he, he and his French counterpart um, had a bit of a laugh about that. But what had happened was that um, the, the, these were part of the consignment that the British had handed over to Michael Collins's forces, but they, they were somewhat out of date. They were actually had been used in the Boer War, and so what they had in Dublin were the, were the rather uh, were, were the um, were the, really the obsolete stock. And uh, I think Michael Collins must have found them obsolete too, because the the Free State Army didn't keep them long, and they were sold to a Belgian arms dealer, who'd sold them on to the to the Riff rebels. And that that was the line of circumstances that, yes. that led the, the guns to arrive in to, to, to arrive in Morocco. In Morocco, yes. yes, yes. John Bellingham continues here, recalling what his father said about Bloody Sunday. We've heard a lot about the about the massacre in the, in the um, you know, on the football stadium. But my father always pointed out that that, that actually was really a follow-on from the, from, from the Mount Street murders. This is, this is Bloody Sunday you're talking yes, about. Yes, And uh, was your father present? Was he there on, on, I on don't, that occasion? No, I don't, think, so. no, I don't think so. Oh, he talked about it. I don't think he was present himself, no. But certainly he had, he had been to Mount Street. Uh, as, as I understand it from my father... Uh, these were um, British officers who was, were in intelligence and were in plain clothes. And um, they, they were living in a house in Mount Street. And um, they, they were supposed to be doing undercover work. And they were posing as things like being a commercial traveller. And m- my father was sent over from Dublin Castle to, to, um, uh, to, to visit them. And... Um, he, he um, walked into the room and did a prank uh, and said, put your hands up and that sort of thing. And um, they, 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 uh, uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but he said that they, they were totally unprepared. Uh, um, that they, 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 Probably the fact they were there was probably known to the locals anyway. And there was a barman at the Shelburne Hotel who who was who who was a spy for the IRA, and they used to go and drink there. And he was listening into the conversations. And apparently, there was someone who used to do your silhouette. Uh, and some of these allowed some of these officers allowed themselves to be drawn in silhouette. And he said that that it was absolute madness. They were they were they were uh, um, they, they were an obvious target. Uh, and um, the, 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 the precautions were absolutely inadequate. And uh, he said um, that as for posing as commercial travellers, he very much doubted that that convinced anybody because they looked like guards officers. And so my father actually was sent to to pose himself as a commercial traveller to see what it was like. So he went down to... um, He used to be horse-caping at the time. He was buying horses and sending hunters and sending them over to England... 
And so he went and stayed in a, in a commercial traveler's hotel, and he found that um, they, 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 uh, they had reserved rooms when they went every time. Um, the, the senior one uh, presided at, at the table. Uh, they, they used to leave their own slippers there, and so they'd come back and find their own slippers. And how on earth could, could someone who was not part of this fraternity suddenly arrive and pretend he was a commercial traveller? He said it was the most stupid uh, uh, alias that one could have imagined. And sure enough, of course, um, shortly after that, um, the, 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 they were murdered in the, uh, uh, at Mount Street. And um, some of those who, who had taken part were boasting about it, and they were at Croke Park, apparently, and my father said that, that uh, 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 an element of the, the Croke Park shooting was a revenge on the, for, the, for, the Mount Street, for, for the Mount Street murders. Mm-hmm. That's all I know about uh, the Croke Park incident. He wasn't there himself, but he, of course he knew all about it. Yes, and, uh, so, but, but he was uh, complaining about the fact that they, they were... Uh, they didn't protect themselves in yes. the way that uh, they he, should have been. He thought they were th- he, yes, he thought the whole thing was thoroughly uh, un- unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, he must have been, because of his training, I suppose, he, he had spent so much time a soldier in, mm. in, in, in um, France, and then when he returned home, uh, he had the experience of probably a lot more than... His uh, his companions or you know, the other men. Well, maybe they'd been in France too. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Maybe yeah. they had. I don't know. Who who did your father actually? Um, who was he close to? Who were his close friends during that time? Oh, good. Uh, Colonel Hildillon, um, who later became my godfather. Colonel Hildillon, who who lived uh, um, later lived near Navan at Hayes House. He, he was a particular friend of, of his. Otherwise, I really don't know. And a year previous to Bloody Sunday, on December 1919, at Ashton, an ambush took place and the IRA were trying to assassinate Lord French. And here, John Bellingham recalls what his father said in relation to that ambush. He, took, he was involved with the, um, the, the uh, Ashton ambush. Oh, yes. Because through the Military History Society, years later, which my father joined, um, he, he was very interested. Um, and they arranged for him to meet, or whoever it was who, mm-hmm. who, who had organised the ambush. And it, it, my father, uh, who was responsible for the Viceroy's, that was Lord French, for the Viceroy's security, um, one of the things he'd done was to... Um, put Lord French in a car which didn't look like the official car and there was somebody else in, in what was obviously the official car so it was the official car that drew most of the fire uh, uh, and the, 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 the car that, was, that Lord French was travelling in was, was, was hardly shot up at all and um, so uh, he was delighted to meet I think it was Dan Breen, because I remember he told me that they, 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 they'd had a discussion and Dan Breen told him his side of the story and how he'd planned the ambush. And my father told him how he'd, how he'd really thwarted the, 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 the desired effect of the, of the, um, uh, of the ambush. And they, they, they had a great time comparing notes and thinking, thinking how, it could have been, how each side could have done it better. The 
the type of warfare that went on during after 1916 right up to to the civil war time was was uh, was a unique way of of uh, of i suppose defeating um the, uh, the 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 British at the time, because away, it it seemed almost an impossible task. Well, they didn't defeat the British actually, uh, the, because when the treaty was signed, the 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 IRA were exhausted, and um, one of the reasons why they went over to to negotiate was that they knew uh, that, that they couldn't hold out any longer. They had been defeated. The British army had actually won, but. Um, Lloyd George realised that um, the, the, the rebellion could be suppressed now, and, and that would be that. But there was still a great deal of, there would be di- smouldering discontent, uh, and the main problems would not be solved, and it would break out again later. But to present um, the War of Independence as a military victory of the Irish over the British is not true. Um, the, the, uh, it was a political decision of, of, of Lord George uh, mm. to, 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 you know, to give them what they wanted. And that, of course, is why uh, um, de Valera uh, rather duplicitously stayed behind and did not accompany the, 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 the delegation. He knew they had to sign, and he knew that he was not going to accept uh, what they'd signed, and hence the story of Michael Collins. He must have been a very disappointed man though when when he actually left dublin castle and uh, and saw the the um, the changeover and uh, he was philosophical yeah. he he was never he was he was never really disappointed he always saw saw the the, the bright side of the bright side of life and um he uh, no, he understood i mean he didn't agree but he understood what uh, what they wanted he thought it was misguided but but i mean but um, you he always had respect for people who, who who disagreed with him and here finally john talks about what his father taught of the black and tans and the ira of course the black and tans Got a very bad name in Ireland, but he always said that the 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 the, the, the black and tans were exactly what you'd expect. Um, they, they were people. They were men who couldn't fit into to civil life when they were demobilised. They'd been in the army so long; they were used to that. So they they volunteered um, for that, and. Um, he said that that um, he said really why they were disliked so much was that as he put it rather crudely, he took the shinners on at their own game. If they were if they were going to play dirty, the, the black and tans could play dirtier. That was his point of view. I mean, he he was yeah. he was rather. Um, I, I think he was pretty impartial really on on, yeah. on his. Of course, he he regretted the excesses that they'd done, but he said. That, but he said it was it was retaliation so often. But, but he must have said to you at some stage, you know, that this Michael Collins was some person, you know. Here he is. Yes, he I managed to think... infiltrate the whole British system. Oh yes, oh certainly. Time. Oh certainly. The, the, their spy network, I think, was I think was very good. They they they, they were they, they, they knew much more about uh, Michael Collins's network. I think knew much more about what was going on than the British ever thought. 
and the whole uh, the, the twelve apostles and 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 the all of this. I mean, he was he was obviously confronted by all of these people uh, for his length of time in Dublin Castle. Yes, I don't know. I don't, yeah. don't know about that. I mean, there were some things he didn't talk about. I, I really don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember him actually having ever mentioned uh, meeting Michael Collins. Mm. He wasn't somebody he talked about anyway. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the stories of Bloody Sunday. And if you'd like to hear those full interviews, you can visit her website at www.irishlifeandlore.com. I look forward again to your company. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and thank you for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs>